morning. This is The Vulture's Nest on 2SER, your weekly cultural criticism show. My name is Fiona Pepper and joining me in the nest this morning are fellow vultures Nick Healy. Good morning. And Andrew Popel. Hello. And our guest vulture this morning is Sarah Agar. So how did ecstasy become legal in Ireland this week? Don't know. That's up next. But first, the TPP, Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, a trade agreement negotiated pretty much under the radar between Australia and a whole heap of other countries bordering the Asia-Pacific. Now, I, for one, have tried to get my head around the TPP, but it is pretty dry and it goes in one ear and out the next. So that's why we've got Sarah Agar from Choice to join us. We are having an exclusive new segment, TPP for Dummies. So, Sarah, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, talk us through it. What is it and why should we be concerned about this agreement? Sure, Fiona. The Trans-Pacific Partnership, as you've said, is a trade agreement currently being negotiated between Australia and 11 other countries, including the US, New Zealand, Malaysia and Canada. The TPP could have a dramatic impact on domestic law and policy in Australia. It could prevent policies like the Cigarette Plain Packaging Initiative from being implemented in the future – It could increase the costs of medicines, change our copyright law for the worse, and allow foreign corporations to sue the Australian government for making policy in the public interest. Despite this, most people will have never even heard of the TPP. That's because the negotiations, which have been taking place for years now, have been conducted in complete secrecy, with negotiators required to sign non-disclosure agreements. Because of this secrecy, any public knowledge that we have about the TPP is based on either leaked drafts or statements made to the media by the negotiators. Despite the fact that the public has been locked out of this process, hundreds of United States cleared advisers who represent corporate interests like the copyright lobby have had access to the full drafts of the TPP, including the negotiators' comments. Public interest groups, however, have been kept in the dark, Even our politicians don't get to see the TPP until it's finalised and amendments can no longer be made. One of the really concerning aspects of the TPP is the likelihood that it will contain a mechanism known as an Investor State Dispute Settlement Clause. These clauses operate to let foreign corporations sue the Australian government for implementing new policies that could cost the company money. They're meant to protect investors from having their property seized uh, in countries where there's a poor rule of law or a shaky legal system. But in practical terms, they're used often to disrupt the implementation of laws that are in the public interest. For instance, Philip Morris, the tobacco company, is currently using one of these clauses in an agreement from 1995 to sue the Australian government in an international court over the plain packaging legislation. It's interesting to note that back when the Australia-United States uh, free trade agreement was being negotiated, the negotiators at that time concluded that these sorts of clauses aren't necessary between two countries with a strong rule of law. It's a shame to see that this view seems to be evaporating in the current negotiations. Another aspect of the TPP that is particularly concerning to public advocacy groups is the potential impact that it could have on the affordability of medicines in Australia. A leaked draft shows that some countries are pushing to extend the period during which a brand name drug gets the market to itself without having to deal with any generic competition. In Australia, when a generic is released, the price of drugs on the pharmaceutical benefit scheme automatically drops by 16%. Under the TPP, this price drop could be delayed for another seven years, which is a long time to wait if you rely on these medicines. 
With issues like this at stake, there is every reason for the text to be made public so that we can have a say and a proper debate about the importance and uh, the benefits potentially of the TPP, but also the risks. There is in fact a very similar agreement currently being negotiated between uh, the European Union and the United States. And due to public concerns around issues like investor state dispute settlement in the EU, they've actually decided to release a lot of their texts, negotiating positions and explanatory documents. We have to ask, if transparent consultation is possible in Europe for this sort of agreement, why isn't it here? The Australian Trade Minister has recently indicated that the TPP negotiations are coming to a close, with a final agreement to be reached in the next months or even weeks. At this point, the government will be asked to take it or leave it. The opportunity to amend the agreement to make sure that the benefits outweigh the risks will be lost. So it's very important at this stage, I think, for the public to push the government to release the text so that we can have a proper debate. Mm. So we're talking about the TPP here at the Vultures Nest, just trying to get our heads around it. The Trans-Pacific Partnership. It sounds so friendly when you put it mm. that way. Though. Oh, Trans-Pacific. Yeah. I-, I can't believe it's taken me this long, but as soon as TPP was said at the beginning of this segment, all I could think of was Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> Maybe that's how we sell it to the public. We get be- bring Beavis and Butthead back and just have them running around going, TPP, TPP. <laughs> for my bunghole? For, for, um, <laughs> But Sarah, what I don't understand is why would the government agree to an agreement like this if it's opening themselves up to being sued? Well, the government has stated that there are benefits in the TPP. That's great, but we haven't seen the agreement, so it's hard to make an assessment of whether or not that's true. Being asked to just trust them is a bitter pill to swallow, I think. Um, The risk of being sued by foreign corporations is very real if an ISDS, Investor State Dispute Settlement Clause, is included in the agreement. Um, It's hard to see a situation where the benefits of the TPP would outweigh that risk, but the public does deserve to have a say in that, I think. And what about the implications for privacy? Well, there is a chapter in the Trans-Pacific Partnership uh, relating to copyright and intellectual property. Um, There are sections that are looking to introduce what would effectively be domestic policy around requiring internet service providers to maintain a track of your downloads and effectively police what you're looking at and provide information to rights holders who want to take you to court for online piracy. So this would be in addition... Well, if the data retention laws pass on... Oh, no, 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 no. Let's be careful here. They're saying very clearly that data retention's not going to (laughs) relate to piracy. Right. And I believe them. Yeah. I believe Malcolm when he says that. Because mm. he uses Wicker. <laughs> Look, the um, the certainly the uh, property, uh, the intellectual property, the rights holders, they're being very firmly protected under the TPP. Um, and Scott Ludlam has been quite clear that he feels that there's not enough individual protection happening with it. It's it's all about the corporations, and it's kind of overlooking the individual rights holder. And uh, I think it's a it's a terrifying first step for what it might mean for Australia. I feel like we are from what little we've seen, giving away far more than we have any chance of gaining. Mm. Yes, that seems to be the case. Um, The copyright provisions, based on leaked drafts, appear to be draconian, uh, criminalising private acts, um, very minor commercial infringement, uh, implementing these 
uh, the notice and notice scheme. Oh, we love a good notice. <laughs> can, can I ask a mammoth, perhaps a mammothly stupid question? We've talked about the, the idea that corporations will be able to sue the government, and that clause is there to protect against countries where rule of law is not as strong as it may be, say, in Australia or in the United States. Would it not be possible to put a contingency on being a part of the, the Trans-Pacific Partnership that rule of law is strengthened? I mean, I know we do have a, a strong, long-going trade agreement with uh, the United States, but other, other countries, and perhaps we have a strong trade agreement that I'm not aware of between us and Brunei or um, Dar es Salaam, uh, also part of the TPP. Uh, could we not make that a condition? Where there, there are going to be conditions on being part of this that you agree to it. Why can't rule of law be strengthened and we just drop that? That's a great idea. I think that is something that could be included in the agreement. Um, but again, yeah, I mean, who knows? It might be there. We haven't seen it. This uh, is part of the problem. It's the mm. secrecy. Like, this could be everyone gets a kitten, the world's fabulous, but we don't know. And by making it secret, they're mm. making it more sinister than it needs to be. It's remarkable. The other thing I'm curious about is I keep coming back to being sued because uh, it's quite dramatic. Um, if, you know, if the government can be sued by corporations, does that mean that individuals can be sued? You know, say someone, boy, you know, starts a boycott on a brand because of whatever. Oh, wow. Does that mean that an individual or kind of like an activist group can be sued under the TPP or is that a separate... I don't believe that's been raised as a risk with the TPP, but we've only seen limited sections of the agreement from 12 months ago. Uh, there have been multiple rounds of negotiations since then. Um, I'm not sure if that's a risk or not. Mm. That would be remarkable. Like, you know, a, a kind of campaign against palm oil, suddenly you're open for being sued by Big Palm. Mm. <coughs> but given that it is such a massive agreement that is covering so many different sectors, why the secrecy? That's a great question. Um, with an agreement like this that has such potential to impact on real domestic policy, not just tariffs and trade barriers, but actual day-to-day -day laws, I think there's every reason to make those sections of the agreement public so that people can consult and tell the government what they think about it before it's too late. Uh, the worst situation would be that we're handed a take-it-or-leave-it agreement that actually does have some benefits, but too many risks. And you no longer at that point have the opportunity to mitigate the risks and keep the benefits. You can only say yes or no to the whole thing. The implication of secrecy is always that <clears throat> there's something to hide. Well, that's, that's the way it looks on the surface, and that's why we are reacting to this, the idea that there is probably something to hide. Is there any risk potentially for generally traded goods? I mean, we've just recently seen the, the Chinese berry scandal. I know China's not a part of our TPP, but a lot of talk around that was that there are lower standards uh, of safety in China, and because of our checking system, I think, was it something like 5% or not even 5% of the berries being imported were being inspected? Could that be something we leave ourselves open to, that we make an agreement with other countries that have lower standards and, in effect, we bring all our standards down as well on generally traded goods? Well, that is a risk. I think the aim of these agreements is to try to raise the bar for those sorts of trades. One of the big risks we do see with the TPP is the impact that it could have on labelling. So if we want to implement better country of origin labelling, say, in the future to help those sorts of situations arising with the Chinese berries, 
the TPP might prevent the government from going ahead with that. Mm. But in any levelling situation, the, the aim is always to, to move up. When we, when we take out a gym membership, we have ripped abs in mind, but what we end up with is usually just a slightly flatter belly. <clears throat> if we have a high level of, if we have a high standard, undoubtedly we're going to have to lower a little bit if someone else is going to make the compromise that they're going to raise a little bit. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think another interesting point about the levelling is uh, in relation to copyright law, at least, the United States has one of the strictest copyright law regimes in the world. And their reasoning for including this in the TPP is to raise our standards. I would say that that's not so much a raising of standards as uh, making our copyright law worse. Um, Lengthening copyright periods is not necessary. For Australia, I don't think. Yeah, they want it up to like a, a hundred years or something. Wow. Don't they? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But is the film industry kind of going hooray for the TPP? Um, well, we know that in the United States, the Motion Picture Association of America has had a chance to actually see the text and provide comments and advice. Um, so we can only conclude they're having a say in it uh, as it develops. Who knows what they've managed to get in? Right. That's the great fun. We just don't know. We don't know. know. It's going to have implications for food labelling, copyright, uh, the price of medication, and then, you know, the government might just get sued by corporations. So it's it's mammoth. It and is. It, and it may be passed very soon. Yes, that's right. Uh, there's currently a round of negotiations going on in Hawaii. Um, and the oh, trade that's minister. Nice. That is really lovely it's for a them lovely this time job. Of year. That's great. But yeah. because of the secrecy around it, you, there aren't a stack of kind of petitions floating around to you know stop the TPP. Well, not from from what I'm aware of. No, at Choice actually, we are encouraging people to make submissions directly to DFAT at choice.good.do/tpp. Uh, we're asking people to tell the government that the secrecy isn't good enough. Um, it's unbelievable that there is a consultation process going on at all, given Mm. that there's nothing to consult on. We can't see the agreement. (laughs) Um, So we are encouraging people to make submissions and encourage the government to release the text. We need to see it. Great. That's uh, Sarah Agar from Choice explaining the TPP. Hopefully it's a little clearer in your head. It is in mine. Um, Up next, we're going to be uh, talking about how ecstasy became legal in Ireland this week. Um, But first, here is a track from Sufjan Stevens. You're listening to The Vulture's Nest on 2SER. I'm Fiona Pepper. And in the nest, we've got Nick Healy, Andrew Popel and Sarah Agar. So drugs in Ireland, how did they become legal this week? Tell us. It's true. Did you hear about the free drugs in Ireland? <laughs> or um, No, wait, hang on. No, it was just free ecstasy. No, no, it was free ibuprofen. You, you crush it up, you mix it with whiz fizz and you drop it in your Mountain Dew. <laughs> I made that one. I made that last one up last night. That don't try that at home, please, please. But it's exciting, isn't it? Um, look, it seems that for a period of about thirty-six to forty-eight hours, a whole bunch of drugs, but not others, were uh, legal in Ireland this week. And the whole shemozzle. And I'm excited to announce that, according to autocorrect, I actually spelled shemozzle correctly. That is exciting. It hinges on the constitutionality of amendments made to a 1977 law known as the Misuse of Drugs Act. 
Uh, my understanding, and I stand open to correction here, is that over the years, the Act has been amended in a rushed, half-assed, or perhaps politically expedient way. Um, now, governments get all funny about their constitutions and expect due process to be observed. And subs- the subsequent ruling on these amendments has meant the drugs previously ruled as being a big no-no are now technically illegal. So if you're a legislature that hears, uh, you know, a potential malfeasance as a result of two hasty decisions, what would you do? Of course, you'd rush through a change in law, returning the status quo in near record time. The only reason it lasted so long is actually uh, the way it works in the Irish legislature is that any law signed has a 24-hour cooling off period before it comes into effect. Hence, we got uh, the sort of 36 to 48 hours because it got signed on midday one day or midnight one night and didn't come into effect till the next week. So it's an odd it's an odd situation that perhaps speaks more to our modern culture of politicking than it does to any debate about drugs or bans. And substances. If I had to guess, I'd say Ireland did not descend midweek into a hedonistic gangster's paradise of lawless drug taking. I'm guessing Temple Bar was still a bit rough, <clears throat> but mostly thanks to the influence of pints of Guinness. And I doubt that <clears throat> I doubt that folks on the Aran Islands were running down their data quotas ordering pills off whatever has replaced the Silk Road these days. The laws are a curiosity, not a reality. In fact, I'd say the laws, or lack thereof, seem to mirror the recent decriminalisation of marijuana in New South Wales for medicinal purposes in that they seem to allow for possession, even buying, but not the selling or retailing of the previously prohibited substance. We live in a strange world that recognises the benefit of certain substances but not others and will happily salivate at the thought we might get a free pharmaceutical holiday but will not agitate for change even if it might ease suffering. So, guys, is this just a light and fluffy story about something silly the Irish legislature did? Because, after all, they did almost legalise gay marriage uh, this week while systematically outlawing heterosexual marriage at the same time. Or do we have some glaring inconsistencies in the way the laws keep up with community attitudes? What do you think? Definitely glaring inconsistencies in the laws. I mean, I think that's what's fascinating to me is that in no way did they ever want to talk about these as possibly being decriminalised or anything like that. There was no debate around that. It was literally just legal finagling. I just want to clarify one thing, Andrew. Who brought it to Ireland's attention that that drugs were legal for the week or for the 48 hours? I um, <clears throat> Look, it's been reported widely. It's been reported as a bit of a fluff piece and a bit of a laugh, you know, ha, 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 free drugs. And, oh, gosh, sorry to everyone who was booking flights to Ireland. It is over. It's over. It's done. Done and dusted. Um, but I would imagine just through the regular um, legal reporting process, someone has said, okay, this is coming up. And these are the implications. One article I read suggested that the legislature were aware that this was a potential result of the the case that was going on that, that caused the amendment to be ruled unconstitutional. So this is in the Constitutional Court. They actually had new legislation ready to rush through. The only reason it lasted so long is, as I mentioned, there was a 24-hour cooling-off period before the new law came into effect. But like you said there wasn't like some crazy, you know, bender that went on in Ireland or who knows, we weren't there. But, uh, you know, it is interesting to go, even if drugs were legalised, does it necessarily mean that everyone will go out and go mental? I think if you got busted for possession in that period, you're pretty safe as long as your drug was uh, on that a prohibited now, not prohibited list. Mm-hmm. Which I think was ecstasy, meth, ketamine and magic mushies. Mm. 
and I think potentially some some of the synthetic drugs might have been in there. Oh, the weird ones. It's the newer. Yeah. It's the newer ones because we're talking about amendments to this act, um, and it's a similar situation here in Australia where there are constantly new variations and permutations on the chemical formula of. Um, these artificial highs that we struggle to legislate. I mean, the, the legislature can't keep up. If a, if a chemist can just change the formula slightly, effectively create an all-new drug that produces a similar, more dangerous, less dangerous effect, how do you keep up and make that illegal? Well, in Ireland, they tried, and the law was ruled unconstitutional. And it, it brings up the debate that... What do we really believe about this? What does it say that everyone got so excited? Everyone loved Mm. this. BuzzFeed loved this. Junkie loved this. Um, The Irish Times loved this. The Sydney Morning Herald had an article. Everyone was interested. Why are we so interested? Because we like drugs on some level. We like our coffee. We like our alcohol. We like our cigarettes. And there are some that we say that's a bridge too far. But are we really sure about where that bridge should be placed? Andrew, I think you raise an interesting point in terms of not like the legislation not being able to keep up. I think, you know, drug taking, we, we've got alcohol sort of figured out to a degree. We do breathalyzing and we, you know, standard drinks and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and plus alcohol is illegal. Uh, sorry, legal. <laughs> um, but when it comes to drugs, it's much harder to detect. And so I don't, I think you know, we the public probably have one up on the police because there's no way of, you know, there's, you know, if well, you've your got... your analysis. Yeah. But, but that's after the fact. And how, and that's not very efficient either. <clears throat> you can't kind of get through that many urine analysis in an hour, you know. Mm, but, I, but I just think that... Uh, Alcohol is interesting, though. I mean, we, we talk about us having it under control, but it hasn't been in the newspapers so much lately. But everyone remembers the spate of alcohol-fueled violence, um, the idea that this was maybe a substance that needed to be controlled more closely through taxation or the like. That was, you know, we, we they knew they couldn't make it illegal, but they wanted to talk about how to control it. One of the biggest issues with the illegal drugs market is that there are no controls. There are no companies assur- with quality assurance on them. So, of course, a huge proportion of these drugs are actually quite dangerous because not dissimilar to the Trade Pacific Partnership, we don't know what's in it. Yeah. <laughs> And there's no little swab for the Trans-Pacific Partnership that you can just wipe your drug on and test to see if it's okay, much like there isn't for many of the drugs that people take. But that system is coming into place, ways that you can test your drugs, or if it was legalised, if it was controlled, would we then have a different situation like we do with alcohol? Not just random forum boards where people can go and say, look, I've just bought this particular type of pill. Has anyone had it? I mean, that's how people do a lot of Mm. drug testing at the moment is by shared experience. Yeah. Uh, But also, uh, I think at the start of this year, there was a Soundwave festival and a young girl took an ecstasy tablet and she had an allergic reaction, which was like one in a million and she died. Mm. Uh, The You know, her school friend who supplied her with the drugs has now kind of been charged. You know, that that's... In my mind, that's fairly backwards. You know that this girl has had a this really incredibly rare allergic reaction, and then you know her friends being held responsible. That you know that's where that legislation is pretty crazy. Yeah, when when violence or bad results happen from someone's drug taking, we tend to talk a lot about the drug taking and the supply side. When we have one woman a week dying at the hands of her partner. Mm. How often is alcohol related to that? I would say in a fair proportion of circumstances when people are, you know, I didn't like the rhetoric around the one punch, but it was, you know, 
there was alcohol fueling that violence, but we're not willing to talk about that, but we are willing to talk about the other in terms of control. We're not making laws effectively here. We're reacting, not thinking it through. That's that's kind of what I got away from this uh, this Ireland situation. <laughs> yeah. Great. You've been listening to The Vulture's Nest on 2SER. Stay tuned because uh, So Hot Right Now is on.